All right, welcome back to the Know Now podcast. My name is Brittany. I'm Daniela. And this week we are talking about Hispanic versus Latino and the terminology and the culture and the conversations that come along with these terms. Um, we're going to start off by defining the actual terms for you guys, and then we'll just jump right in. So, Daniela? Yeah, so the first definition we'll cover is Hispanic. Um, this relates to Spain or to Spanish-speaking countries, especially those in Latin America, but it excludes Brazil since they're a Portuguese-speaking country. Um, and then Latina or Latino is a person of Latin American origin or descent, and Latinos can be of any color, shape, or background, um, according to the Associate Director of Latino Studies at Indiana University. And then some another term that is frequently thrown at us is Spanish. Um, and we are not Spanish because that means that you are for a person of Spain. Um, and it also refers to the Romance language of most of Spain and Central and South America and other countries. And just to clarify, none of those are an actual race. Race is actually refers to the physical traits, ancestry, genetics, or social relations, and the connection between those groups. Ethnicity um, is the characteristics of the people sharing a common or distinctive origin, culture, religion, language, or the like. And nationality is the status of belonging to a particular nation, whether by birth or naturalization. And so here we have these really complex terms, on surface really simple terms, but very complex because we often use them to refer to um, a group of people. So let's break it down, right? Yeah, definitely. But before we do that, I just want to talk about um, some research done um, at the Pew Research Center uh, because it covers all these terms that we've just discussed. Um, so two-thirds of Hispanic adults say that being Hispanic is part of their racial background but being Hispanic is not a race. Um, it's an ethnicity. So let me just break it down. So 11% define Hispanic as their racial background. 56% define it as both their racial and ethnic background. 19% define it as their ethnic background. And 13% just don't know. Um, so I think that's interesting to bring up because although we are both part of this community, um, it's important to know that even within the community, there's a bit of confusion in regards to the word Hispanic and Latina and how to really use it. I think the most complex part about even the term, right, like Latino versus Hispanic, is that we're not a homogenous group, right? We're a mixed race and um, a mixed race heritage that varies per country and origin. And um, being that there's like 53 million Latinos in the U.S., right, and we're like the second largest ethnic group, it gets a little tricky when we when, or when we try to understand identity and racial identity, right? Because I'm brown, you're white, there's black Latinos, there's, you know, like beige Latinos, there's Latinos are just such like a big range of people, and it's mostly due to the colonization of our people. So... Identity politics in this context are very complex because outside of the U.S., Latinos don't even necessarily exist in the context that they do inside of the U.S. Mm -hmm. So how migration works and how 
people outside of the U.S. come into the U.S. and all automatically are called Latinos. It's very political move. It's like a very political, I don't know, not movement, but like strive, I guess. Let's talk about how we identify and what, what terms we use and why we use them. Um, because I think that's one of the biggest differences between you and I and um, something that we've discussed in the past. Yeah. Go ahead. You can start. Okay. So I have always called myself Hispanic. Um, I don't think I've ever said that I'm Latina. Um, and I didn't really start noticing this difference really until I started interacting with you um, because you very firmly say that you are Latina. Um, I think for me, it just comes from just my environment and my surroundings. My parents call themselves Hispanic. Um, everyone in my family calls themselves Hispanic. And I I think it really just stems back historically to the fact that I'm from Colombia and Colombia was colonized by Spaniards. Um, so I think it just feels natural to say that we're Hispanic, but I see now how how big of a conflict that is, given that we're kind of paying tribute to the people who colonized Colombia. Um, and that's something that you've brought up that I had never really considered before, but just really taking into consideration the weight of the word. Um, but it's a hard transition for me because for some reason in my mind, um, and I guess just the way I was brought up, Latina was something that people from the islands called themselves. Um, not to say that there's any, you know, like there isn't a better form of Latina or Hispanic, but I was always taught that if you were from South America or Latin America, you called yourself Hispanic. And then the people like Cubans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans called themselves Latinos. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, um, I can definitely see why. But I also think that you have to remember, we both come from Spanish speaking countries. So technically, I'm also Hispanic. But my struggles and being Dominican and sharing an island with my fellow like with Haitians, um, and they also experiencing very similar struggles, and even worse struggles than most of the Spanish speaking countries in Latin America, they too are Latino, like Latino people. And Brazil is also a Latin, like the Latino people. And when we tend to when we use the term Hispanic, what we're actually doing is excluding them out of a conversation that is supposed to be all encompassing of um, or like overarching and that encompasses like the entire region and acknowledges mixed ancestry and signifies like political unity between nations of the South that have like very same um, historical struggles. Like the things that Brazil was colonized is very similar um, to how Colombia was colonized minus the colonizers, you know, like switch out the colonizers. We're still colonized by like Europeans. The same thing with Haiti. And I just don't think that it's fair when we have conversations um, that are targeting like the political or the historical context of Latin America that we exclude them. And um, I just think it's so important to use that term 
because it also, especially inside the U.S., it also unifies our struggle, right? And we're able to come together and stand for many different things. And we're all affected by politics completely different, especially with DACA, especially with immigration laws, like completely different. Like how, you know, Haitians are affected by those issues is completely different than how, um, you know, someone from a wealthier, like a Latin country would be affected, right? And so that is a, like that, that's the purpose I use the word Latinx or Latino, Latina to refer to the struggles of this region because our, our struggles are so much alike. And in the context of the US, it's so important that we stick together and we continuously fight for each other's struggles as well as our own people's struggles. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And I think sometimes people are scared to talk about this because it, it can get a little bit confusing. Um, and I think some people feel very passionately about the way they identify, as they should, um, because it's who we are. Um, do you want to go a little bit into the the other term that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, so um, I know that within our within like the uh, conversation of Latino, Latina, um, the term Latinx has uh, most recently been pro- like used mostly to talk about the Latino people. And I just want to clarify. So I think that there's a lot of resistance to the word Latinx by traditional um, Spanish speakers because of um, because they believe that it's uh, kind of taking away the beauty right? Well, one, the language, Spanish, is a colonizer's language. It's not our language of origin. Um, and uh, I just remembered one last thing that I'm going to go back to. But anyways, to finish my thought. Um, <laughs> um, so we use Latinx in, uh, in, our, in our movement often and I think people also believe that it came from an academic space right um, but actually the X in Latinx was used by um, in Latin America by activists trans and feminist spaces um, most specifically in El Salvador it was first introduced in El Salvador um, by feminists and trans women who had to move away from using Latin latinx or latina with the at symbol at the end i don't know if you've ever seen that it's like l-a-t-i-n with the at symbol um due to the fact that the a the at symbol still um the a is very dominant in that and so it was still like a signifying femininity and i've never really seen like just from my personal experience the x ever used in an academic space i want to make that clear yeah, so just going back to like the whole thought of Latino, Latina being an American term, and then El Salvadorian feminists and trans women reclaiming the term, putting an X at it, and then you know us using it in this context is an ode and a respect to them and their movement and to inclusion just in general. And um, and so a lot of them also I want to like clear because someone I was talking about this to. Um, a community member and they were just like oh well are we just going to replace all the a's and the o's with x and they actually they actually do in the actual way that they speak and that they write and these activists are very like committed to this movement and so they use it 
religiously. And so I think just because we're adapting it in the US, like currently, that that transition isn't completely and fully made. Also, because there's a lot of resistance just in general from the community, like there's always been um, resistance against the inclusion of trans and femme people. Yeah, and I think this is a really great topic to bring up because I had not considered this because I've never met a person of Spanish-speaking descent who is trans, but I can see how difficult that would be because our language is so gendered. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think also, like, even thinking about identity politics, right, and, like, how how it's so complex in the U.S., right? And I've already said that, but um, I really want to, like, clarify to anybody who's, like, the non-Latinos out there, Latinx people listening in, that it is so complex for Latinx people in the U.S. whose ancestry has been displaced and violently killed and colonized to understand identity racially. And I think that I'm not trying to excuse or um, run a, like, give an excuse or defend the racist and blatantly colorist problematic Latinx out there who ignore and perpetuate self-hate against their and their own and others' blackness. Um, but I'm just acknowledging and I want everyone to acknowledge how complex racial identity is for so many of us because it's not as simple as I'm white and I'm black because that inside the, the U.S. and the context of the U.S. is so one extreme to another. And Latino people kind of fit in the spectrum in between. And it's not necessarily fair to many people out there just because they're brown that you call them or you like make them feel like they need to be either white or black. And I think that's something that I personally have struggled with most of my life. And I don't even think that I've identified as brown until like the last maybe five or six years of my life because I never thought I was, I never saw myself like white enough to like be white, but I've also never saw myself black enough to be black. And that, that whole like, uh, seesaw I guess of like emotions and identity issues really is hurting when I don't have the correct context or the correct tools um to understand my own personal identity so now I go by brown because I that's the color of my skin but that's also a representation of the struggles that I have um I have lived and experienced and I benefit from like from the whiteness in my skin. So I have to acknowledge that. And in order to acknowledge that, I also have to acknowledge that I'm not physically a black person, nor do I ever endure racial ish, like racial discrimination like a black person would. So I just want to make that clear as well. Yeah. And I think it's something that's important to talk about because like I mentioned, I think it's a scary thing to talk about sometimes, um, especially when you're not really taught about this. I mean, I was never taught about this. Were you? I don't think it's anybody's responsibility outside of like academia, academia to like supply us with the tools to know about this type of stuff. Like this is type of, these are the type of things that we should be learning in schools, in my opinion. And it's not really up to like the people around me to be like, learn about this identity issue, learn about this. But the fact that that's where I've learned it from, like later on in my life and through being around other brown Latinx people, I understood that. Like I understood, wow, like they look at life like 
completely different because they've had to and maybe I should start too and maybe I should you know like adapt myself into understanding why is it that I don't benefit from or that I do benefit from my privilege but I'm not white so that's the whole like I don't yeah I just don't think that we're supposed to learn it like from like who's gonna teach us this stuff you know like school should do that yeah, of course. Um, I have something completely off topic, but kind of on topic that I read about the other day um, that I wanted to discuss with you. Um, did you hear about the school in Texas that had the slavery assignment? No, I did not. Okay. Brace yourself. <laughs> so a school in San Antonio, um, a history teacher decided to give, it's a charter school, um, decided to give I don't know if it was a male or female teacher, but the teacher decided to give its students an assignment where they had to, it was titled The Life of Slaves, A Balanced View. And they had to list the negative aspects and the positive aspects of slavery. (laughs) And parents had a cow over it. And they were like, "How? what positive aspects do you expect our children to present on this topic? Like, what? (laughs) I know. I'm, like, at a loss for words. It's, I, every day, I wake up in Trump's America, and I get further desensitized <laughs> to, like, these blatantly prejudiced and blatantly racist issues. Like, I'm just, I'm, like, not even surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm annoyed, definitely it's very annoying to hear that that's still happening and that there's no sense of like control in these schools in terms of those type of projects but uh, what are we gonna do and apparently the assignment came from a textbook which is even more concerning but not surprising yeah extremely concerning extremely not surprising (laughs) yeah and the parent who so he posted on facebook and then obviously grew from there and it went crazy on there um he was saying here i have a quote from him we are fully aware that there is a concerted effort by the far right nationally to reframe slavery as being not that bad and trying to revise the civil war as being about states rights and not about slavery We were concerned that this assignment fell in line with that ideology and were naturally concerned as well as other parents. Um, And then he also, so this family who brought it up is Mexican-American and they identify as Chicanos, which is another term Mm -hmm. that I think to define here because this isn't something that I was really exposed to until I moved to uh, Texas and I hear it a lot. Um, So this is a term that a person of Mexican origin or descent Uh, traditionally uses. And I know that there has been a lot of um, controversy over using the word because it was once used as a derogatory word towards Mexicans. Um, But a lot of them are reclaiming the use of the word. Uh, But I thought it was interesting that the parent who brought up the issues with this assignment is part of, you know, the Latino Chicano community. I think that the Chicano movement not only in Texas, but in California and in Chicago are like so powerful. And so like they spearhead so many of like the important like movements that give representation to Latinos and Latinos issues. So 
Yeah, I mean, that's crazy that that happened in, I mean, it's not crazy that it happened in Texas, but I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just so, I, I read it last night right before bed and I was like, this is so disappointing. Why is this the world that we live in? I think that says so much more about our society than it does about like the school, dis- like the school system, you know? No, definitely. And I just, I also wonder how many parents thought that it was an okay assignment. I want to know how many kids actually did that assignment. I wouldn't have done it. Ouch. What? The second I got that assignment, I would have started. I wouldn't even let the, t- I don't think I would walk out that classroom until, until the assignment was retracted. <laughs> but that's besides the point. And so I think, yeah, like these the uh, as you all could already hear like the term chicano and just like things that come up when we talk about the latino people is so complex and we just want to lend this conversation really to like bringing awareness and bringing and showcasing how complex it really can be right yeah and, and i guess just also realizing that it's okay if you're not sure what word to use. Um, I think this is something, especially for those of us in the community, I think it's something that just kind of comes as you grow and get to know yourself better. Like it's okay to not have a word to define yourself or not know which one you want to use. Um, I was going to say, I've spent 24 years calling myself Hispanic and transitioning to a different word is hard because the first thing that comes to mind is Hispanic. It's just like ingrained with who I am. Um, but I think it's important with any word you use in anything to really understand the background of it and where it came from and, you know, what it's done to the community. I don't know if I can look at that word the same, given that it's really paying tribute to colonizers. And you and I both know how we feel about that. Identifying as Latino outside of the U.S., I already said this does not even exist, right? We identify with our nationalities outside of the U.S. So, like... Daniela says she's yep. Colombian. I'm Dominican. Um, I'm Dominican-American because I was born in America, but my parents are Dominican. And so um, Latino definitely is like just one of those overarching terms that kind of like I said again, unifies us. But because it's because in the U.S., right, like using Hispanic is a tool to identify colonization, but it also does something else that we often don't have the chance to talk about is that it whitewashes our African and indigenous ancestry. So like thinking that, you know, um, that all countries in like the Latin America are Spanish speaking is hurtful because the Spanish, the predominantly Spanish speaking countries still have indigenous people that have their own language and their own um, culture and society and way of living so we have to also acknowledge that because those are our roots to a certain extent and ignoring that is you know doing a a disservice to them and our ancestry but also that hispanic is used as a term for funding in a lot of um higher uh higher education spaces so when you go to college and when you go to like universities or um, even public schools now are getting specific funding for the amount of people um, that identify with the Hispanic heritage. So I think that there um, there's a lot of politics that goes behind being Hispanic. And that's why I chose not, well, I choose not to use it because also um, 
people just capitalize off of off of your identity and to stop that you kind of have to like move around it and figure out ways to uh, identify because nobody should take your identity away from you and it's really important that you you know if you don't have one that's still an identity is what I want to say and it's important that you understand who you are and um not allow like these big corporations to continuously capitalize off of you being you know a spanish-speaking person or a you know creole-speaking person or portuguese-speaking person or you know have indigenous language in you so that's also really important that i wanted to point out we never talk about hispanic serving institutes right and what it takes to be a hispanic serving institute so um in order to be like you know, nationally, um, Hispanic serving institute, you have to have um, about 75% or more of your student body identify and fill in that little Hispanic bubble. And when they do that, colleges get a Title V fund, which is um, a specific fund that's supposed to go towards you know, uh, preserving Hispanic culture on your campus, but often we don't see that money or it's not properly um, distributed. So we actually don't see, many of us don't see the benefits of that, especially if we're not like involved. But um, in, so that started in 1995, but in 2003, uh, that Title V fund hit a $95 million like cap and so um I think that that's insane 95 million dollars it's not really much it's not a lot especially when you split it up I think there's now 151 the title five recipients um so schools that are hispanic serving and um if you really do the math on that it leaves a fairly good amount of money to preserve hispanic heritage as on campus but let's talk about how much of that hispanic serving do we actually see and what does that actually translate into because um sometimes that means that they could open let's say at the institute that we went to at the university that we went to daniello they could open up a bakery right a hispanic (laughs) bakery and call that preserving our hispanic roots it's nice that we have a hispanic bakery on campus but is that a proper way of preserving our actual heritage and our culture you know like, are we doing ourselves justice by filling in that little bubble? No, we're just playing into the system, in my opinion. Um, something else that came to mind when we we're talking about these terms is kind of like the the stigma that if we fall into one of these categories, we have to speak the language. Mm. Um, Let's talk about it. Yes. I've always – so I – both of my parents uh, were born in Colombia, and both of them speak fully fluent Spanish. And right, it's my mom's really primary language, not really my dad's because he was raised in the U.S., but um, they're both fully fluent, as am I. Um, I read, write, speak it, uh, like native proficiency. Um, my sister, on the other hand, does not. Um, she speaks it well, um, but she doesn't really read or write past like you know like an intermediate level I'd say um and I have a lot of friends who are Hispanic Latina whatever and they don't speak the language and sometimes it's kind of looked upon as though you're not 
Hispanic or Latina enough if you don't speak the language, which I think is a huge problem. Mm, I agree. I, um, so my parents are also both fluent in the language. It's my dad's primary language. Um, and my mom, uh, born in Dominican Republic, bred in New York City, uh, but she's also, you know, very fluent in both languages. Um, my siblings don't speak it. They understand it fluently. I, on the other hand, um, I used to hide the fact that I spoke Spanish. I used to hate speaking Spanish. I was fluent. It was my first language. Um, and as I got older, I stepped away from speaking it. So now what we have is uh, is like kind of a... I'm like fluent in Spanglish, if that makes any sense. But I think that's also very common for um, many people who are Spanish speakers. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I could read it, I could write it, but I don't speak it fluently and comfortably enough to be able to be like a confident Spanish speaker. But it doesn't, like, I think that that's super important because we have a whole generation, right? Uh, usually first generation Americans um, who don't who don't speak the language because we're so displaced from our heritage and our culture. And that's so valid, right? Like, Yeah, of course. And it's something that, especially growing up in Florida, is something that I always had problems with. I don't like, and it's not because I'm ashamed of who I am, but I don't like when I go up to someone and speak to them and they assume that I speak Spanish and speak to me in Spanish when I have initiated a conversation in English. That drives me nuts. And some people may not agree with this, but I feel like if I am speaking to you in English, and I don't have an accent most of the time when I speak English, there is no need for you to assume that I speak Spanish because of how I look at all. I think that is so incredibly annoying. <laughs> I, I don't know how you feel about that because I can see both sides of it where it'd be like, oh, you should be proud that they're speaking to you in Spanish. But it drives me off the wall. I think I'm just... I'm always happy when my people can recognize me, <laughs> you know, like that brings me joy. It's like, damn, like you definitely like we are like Dominicans say de lo mio, like you're mine. Like, you know who I am just because of my features. And that makes me excited now. Like, I understand what you're saying completely because that was me back in like the self-hating days where I would hide my Spanish and I would just be like, yo, just because I'm brown does not mean that I'm going to speak Spanish. So stop talking Spanish to me. Like I would get real upset and um, I get it. But I think now I just like, I've gotten to a point where for some time people weren't coming up to me and speaking Spanish and I, that kind of hurt my feelings. I was like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, I don't look Latino to you now. <laughs> like what's, what's happening? So I think I just learned how to like appreciate it because when your people can recognize you, I just feel like that's, that makes me feel included, you know? Yeah. But I think sometimes like on the other side of it, Okay, first of all, there is no way that you know that I am of Spanish-speaking descent because of how I look. There is no way, right? Even you, like, you could not be from Hispanic. Like, okay, my husband. Yeah, exactly. My husband, for example, looks very Hispanic. Dark hair, dark eyes, like the thick dark hair. He's tan-ish. 
I think the man bun also gives it a little Hispanic flavor. <laughs> and he has zero Hispanic in him. Zero. So there's so many times when we are out and he hasn't even opened his mouth and people go up to him and speak Spanish. And he's like, um, uh, I mean, he understands and he speaks it now, but he's Middle Eastern. So <laughs> I think there's a, I think it's nice to be recognized. And I love, like, for example, if I'm in like a Colombian restaurant, and someone speaks to me in Spanish, I love it. Um, or, you know, especially here in Dallas where like Spanish speaking people are like, difficult to find, especially in the community where I was working. I enjoy it, but I don't like when the assumption is made just based on how I look. And this is a good little um, flow into just because, just because they look, someone looks like what you think they are does not mean that's actually what they are. So perceived identities literally were, will be the death of me. Just because they don't look Latino does not mean that they're not Latino. Just because they do look like they're Latino does not mean that they're Latino. So I just need people to, like, gather themselves and stop, you know, like, stop with the perceived identities. Like, who I am on the outside is only a fraction of my identity. And I think that's so important, too. Like, Alec might look, you know, your, your man might look like he's Latino, but he's not. And it's only because people have this predetermined idea, mm-hmm. stereotype of what Latino looks like and what it should look like that they start making these inferences. And I think that's also how prejudice, you know, starts to build. Like people start not wanting to serve you because, or talk to you or whatever derogatory term they want to use that day just because of the way they look. And I know that happens so often. Yeah, and there's been many times where he's spoken to in Spanish and I'm not, <laughs> like, by the same person. <laughs> like that. And I, I also think that it's just tricky because identity is so personal, you know, and you don't know where someone is in the process of defining their identity. And it's not as simple as, oh, you your family's Dominican or your family's Colombian, you must be Hispanic or Latina. You know, it, it's not that simple. There's so much that goes into it. Like I've known people who looked Hispanic, had, for example, like a white mom, but a Hispanic father. A father was never in the figure. So they didn't want to identify as Hispanic because it was a part of their lives that they were not in touch with. And that's okay. Um, but when we go and make an assumption based on how someone looks – we fall into this like gray area where you don't know if that person identifies that way. Yeah. Perceived identities are a whole thing. Um, I also wanted to touch a little bit on um, communities of color and where the Latina and Hispanic community falls into it because we had a conversation recently with someone who didn't know how this worked. Um, We asked someone if how they identified and they said Hispanic but not as a part of, you know, the communities of color. Um, Do you want to touch a little bit on that? Because I think it's important to discuss that in this conversation. How we are perceived, right? Our perceived identities is largely influenced by our society's historical prejudice against black and brownness, right? And so when we talk about race within the Latino context, right? Or the Latinx Mm -hmm. context, we it gets a little complicated, right? Because many white Latinos consider themselves people of color, 
because of culturally and eth- ethnically, like they face some marginalizations, right? And um, and they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily of color, and they might often like verbalize that they're not brown or black or that's different or they might have some sort of predetermined idea of black and brownness within their communities and so what I want to (laughs) say I can't think of the correct words right 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 this second but black and brownness exists in the Latino context it is alive, it is living, it is often where we get much of our culture from, and it's complex. Like, white Latinos and black Latinos, it's very, it's like, I, I don't even know what to say. It's so heavy because it's not just like, oh, I'm white and I'm a Latina. It's like, I'm a white Latina that also is marginalized by our society, so how do I get to the like but also black latinos are like alive and i'm really tired of the whole um if you're black you can't be latino thing like afro latinos have existed in latin america since the start since the first ship from africa landed on the coast of any spanish speaking any currently spanish speaking country like i don't want to hear it i don't want people to there's so much resistance. Is that a thing? Yeah, people don't believe that Black people exist in Latin America. Oh my God. But then here we are having an entire nation. Like, there's a country, Haiti, that is a Latin American country. Can we talk about this, please? Oh my Lord. People really want exclusions out of the Latin American conversation. Why? Because historically and due to colonization latinos are racist (laughs) they're anti-black and they're self-hating and they don't want to acknowledge anything that is black unless it benefits them right and i just i my blood boils because for so long and for the beginning of the conversation of the latino struggles we have left haiti out of it and why explain to me why geographically Haiti is in Latin America it's right next to the Dominican Republic I've never thought about this okay keep going keep teaching me teach our listeners and teach me (laughs) so (laughs) so that's like the the pushing away of Haiti as a Latin country just because they're not Spanish speaking is anti-black, it's racist, it's hurtful. The same way we try to exclude um, Brazilians and more specifically Afro-Brazilian or Afro-Portuguese people because of their African descent. And I just want people to understand that before we were colonized, Latin America was colonized, indigenous black and brown people resided on that land. Indios resided in that land. Do not come at me and talk about, (laughs) let me calm down, and talk about how this is not part of our history and our ancestry and that people only want to claim their African heritage when it comes to music or culture or paintings. We need to acknowledge it from the jump. And if anyone has anything to say about the inclusion or exclusion of Haiti in the terms of Latin America, you can email me personally. We could have this conversation. 
because I think that when we don't include them, we're just showing people how anti-black we really are. And we're not like, not that we're not because there, there are a lot of anti-black and racist people in Latin America. But to do a justice to my neighbors, my geographical, historical, ancestral neighbors, I will include them in the conversation of the Latin Latinos because that's just, that's me that's me doing my job. <laughs> well, it's a, the same way that we include Brazilians into it, right? But we only want to include Brazilians sometimes, you know, like when it's beneficial yeah. to us, when we're talking about economy or when we're talking about culture and food. And it's like, no, let's include them every single time because we can't pick and choose when it's convenient for us to include a demographic of people. Like that's 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 so rude. <laughs> that's so inconsiderate. Yeah. You, you can't pick and choose. It's either all the time or not at all. But the problem really is, and the root of the problem, is that in the U.S., right, and even in, I would even go as far to say as most um, countries in Latin America, our concept of our identity is informed by a colonized neoliberal, neoliberal capitalist agenda. Mm-hmm. And because of that, our politics and the way that we look at race, ethnicity, um, nationality, uh, Hispanic and Latinos um, is going to inherently be problematic. <laughs> and that's just that. That's very true. That is very, very true. Well, okay. So I, I definitely had never considered, or I've never thought about Haiti. I, I, I never really think about these things. You know, I'm never like, hmm, is Haiti a Latin American country? Um, <laughs> but I think this comes from the confusion between or with the term and assuming that you can only be like Latino or Latina if you speak Spanish, which is not true at all. Um, I think that's so interesting that you brought this point up. And I love that you did that because you taught me and I'm sure you are teaching all of our listeners about this. I just like it popped in my head and I just had to go off real quick. But I just, I knew why they included in the conversation. Yeah, no, I think that's so important. It's so important. And now that I have been made aware of this, I'm going to be more inclusive in conversations. Uh, but I think that's where it starts. I think a lot of people just don't know. I had never thought about this. And I, it's probably because I'm not from the Dominican Republic or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like a, it's not in, yeah, it's just not part of my day-to-day life. So I've never really thought about it, which is, wrong. I should think about it. Um, but I think once you're made aware of these things, that's when you need to really, you know, take it into consideration and use it. Mm. I also want to um, point out that I've talked to Haitians about this ideology and it's really like a 50 50 some of them are like hell no I don't want to I don't want y'all to claim nothing of us and I respect that because the Spanish-speaking countries in the Caribbean have been very hurtful towards Haiti. More specifically, the Dominican Republic has been very hurtful towards Haiti for centuries. And I understand the not wanting to be included in the conversation. But I think that in order to, to promote change and perspective in our own community, 
it's almost kind of like I need to say this to shake it up so that they realize that the hurt that they have caused is not to another country of a foreign identity. It's to our neighboring countries. It's the countries that have been through the same similar, very similar um, historical colonizations as we have the struggle like Dominican and Haiti at one point the Dominican Republic and Haiti at one point were just Hispaniola that was it it wasn't Dominican Republic and Haiti and the fact that you know um it like the independence of Haiti and the independence of Dominican Republic has created this border and this line and then we exclude them like we draw like around or out like oh them away from the conversation it's a problem and the reason why there's continuous hurt happening to the country of Haiti. And so I just want that to be said. Like, I respect any Haitian out there that does not want to, like, even doesn't want Latinos to even identify them as Latinos or part of Latin America. I understand that. But for my me and my fight and the reason why I want to do this is so much more than purposely like excluding you guys like I would I rather include it in the conversation and bring it up every time I talk about Latino issues than exclude it altogether and that conversation never be had so I just want to clarify that no yeah and I that goes back to how personal identity is and our process and our experiences with it um yeah and also, there was one more thing I wanted to say about identity just in general. And I'm going to speak in, like, first person so that I hope it, like, translate easy. Okay. My identity is something that I have the right to outgrow. I'm allowed to change, shift, and shake what is unfairly thrown at me and what I put unknowingly on. What I no longer need to or hide behind it is my right as a human being on this planet to change my identity to a more accurate identity does that make sense because i don't want people to think i'm over here trying to (laughs) rachel dozale like that is not the movement but i just want people to know like it's okay that you were self-hating latinx person but as long as you're working towards a more self-loving Latinx person, that's all that matters. And that you acknowledge that identity is complex and political. And what you choose to identify is a reflection of how you choose to decolonize yourself from the titles that we put on our, like that our colonizers put on us. So I just want that. That was it. It's a continual process. Like go through life trying to figure out who you are. That's the most important thing you can do. Yeah. And this is true of any type of identity. It's, I think people think it's black and white, but it's not, <laughs> it's so gray. And Or that what you were when you were five is what you should be whole when life. you're at 25. And it's like, right. no, that's not how this works. That's not how this yeah. works. And that's not how it's going to work. No. And as we grow and we learn and we're exposed to different things, our identity shifts um, and we grow and we learn, which is important. Like if I hadn't met you or done this master's program, I'd probably always call myself Hispanic. Um, And it's okay to make that transition to a different word. And it doesn't have to be seamless. It doesn't have to be sudden. Um, It's just a gradual process. And it's, it's what it means to grow up, you know, and to 
look, move closer to who you are and how you want to identify. Um, because I think it's a big statement. And I think sometimes we don't realize how big of a statement it is. The way you identify makes a difference to not just you, but everyone around you. And it makes people think, um, especially when you are surrounded by people who are not in the same community as yourself. Mm. Yep. Well, this has been a very informative podcast <laughs> and I learned much more than I expected myself to learn in this podcast. <laughs> um, I agree. But thank you to our listeners. Um, feel free to subscribe, leave us a review, follow us on social media. Our handle is no now podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and tune in next week for a different topic.